Kidder, kid, no. <laughs> Aren't you like conditioned to like want to hear that song next? Like, Kidder Mission, let's do it. Oh, good morning. Welcome to Genie Faith Center, everyone here in person. You guys look amazing. I'm actually really surprised that we're all here. It's a nice day today. I'm like, man, I think people might be like, they might be gone. <laughs> might be like, I'm out of here, man. But we're all here. For those of you who are at home during the live stream, thanks for tuning in and being a part and interacting during the worship time and during this message time. So it's good stuff. Well, as Mark's mentioned and also uh, Kate mentioned, we are in our series, our welcome series. And this morning we're going to be talking about how Jesus welcomes the disillusioned how he welcomes those who are questioning and are searching and just looking for what is the truth or might be disillusioned with what the truth is. And I think after today's conversation, we might place ourselves in this story of Nicodemus, which is in John chapter three, of like, I might be in that same place possibly, but how Jesus interacts with us with truth and grace in those times. See, our, our brains are very powerful. We are created in the image of God, and we, we have these powerful brains, but sometimes they can be in conflict. Our brain can assume, our brain can overlook, our brain can fill in the blank spaces with untrue information sometimes from how we've maybe been raised or different thoughts and different ways of life or just we want just something to be what it is. And if it's not that, we're like, it should be that. So I got three pictures I want us to go through, and for those of you at home, it should pop up on the main screen as well. Um, the first one is this. It is an elephant with a bunch of legs. How many legs does an elephant have? Does it have four? Does it have five? Six? None? Is it even an elephant? We don't know. Who drew this? <laughs> right? But our, our brain can kind of start to fill in maybe some false information, or we see something and we just fill in the blank spaces. We're like, oh, I think that's what it is. But our brains can be in conflict by seeing something right there. This next one, I want you to read this phrase as fast as you can, but with accuracy. So here it is. What does it say? A bird in the bush or a bird in the, the bush, right? Sometimes we can just skip over the other word that's there of like, oh, I didn't even see that word. So our brains can see something, but not maybe get the full picture. And this last one, um, I want you to take 10 seconds and try to see how many triangles there are in this picture. Try to count all the triangles up in this picture. Now, if you're at home or here in person, just tell somebody next to you how many triangles you think you see. The answer is zero. There is zero triangles in there. There's just empty space. But our brain is filling in all of these lines and shapes. Because, I, I mean, I look at that, I'm like, oh, there's like a thousand triangles in there. There's a lot, right? Maybe not a thousand, but I could see some. But it's just empty space. And so our brains can be disillusioned sometimes. And I think this same reality plays into our spiritual journeys. We can become disillusioned with what we know and can rationalize what is tangible, something that is, I can figure that out in my own brain space. But we forget about the beauty, the truth, and the mystery that there is in God himself. So this morning we're gonna look at the story that again, I think we can place ourselves in 
in different contexts. It's the story of Nicodemus, who is processing, who is doubting, who is disillusioned, who is filling in what he thinks he knows of who Jesus is. But Jesus is saying, I'm not who you think I am. I'm something even greater. So we're going to be in John chapter 3, and we're going to read through Nicodemus, who was a man who was disillusioned with the true person of Jesus. But yet Jesus welcomes him with grace and truth, but yet challenging his disillusionment with hope and faith. Let's pray before we get into the word. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. And as we read through the story, Lord, open up our hearts and minds to be open to your Holy Spirit revealing things that we, may, we might be disillusioned with, things that we've placed on Jesus or on others that are not true. Lord, convict us, work on our hearts and our minds to let the pure truth of Jesus be the thing that leads us and directs us forward. Holy Spirit, speak through me this morning. Let it be your words, not my words. And God, we just submit to your authority. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to be in John chapter 3, and we're going to read a fairly large uh, chunk of Scripture. We're going to be in verses 1 through 21 in this first little bit. I think the, just the story and how it's written just plays well to get this whole context. But as you're either flipping there into your, uh, into your Bibles, your iBible, whatever you're using, let's get to know Nicodemus a little bit. Who is this guy? Why, why is he written in this gospel account a couple of different times? Well, what we know is that Nicodemus was a Pharisee, but also he was a part of the Sanhedrin. So he's already in this elite status, but then like the upper, upper elite status of the religious figures in the Jewish culture of that time. He was like, he's the guy. He's the elite, the best of the best. It's assumed as well from just who he was as part of the Sanhedrin that he had the Old Testament memorized. Not just a few books or a few key scriptures, the entire Old Testament. So if you look at your Bible, about halfway through is like Psalms. There's more of the Old Testament past the Psalms. He had a lot of things memorized, most likely. He was very wealthy. We know that later on because he brings all these spices and things to the burial of Jesus, which cost a ton of money. He's very wealthy. He's smart. We can probably say he's an overachiever. He's that guy in class where the teacher says, yeah, we have a, a paper due. Wasn't it a 20-page paper? Everybody's like, shut up, man. Like, don't do that. It's supposed to be a two-page paper. He's that guy who wants whatever the checklist is, he wants to check it off, achieve it, and then do even better. That could be what Nicodemus is like. He appears three times in the gospel, here in John 3, later in John chapter 7, then also in John 19 after the death of Jesus. So for context of right here in John chapter 3, Jesus has performed some miracles. He's done some very amazing things in front of the religious people. Nicodemus was present. And Nicodemus is like, whoa, this is new. This is interesting. I want to get to learn to know. I want to learn... <laughs> Sorry, I need to go to school. I want to learn more of what is happening. Again, he's the overachiever. He wants to understand why this occurred or who this Jesus guy is. And so we're going to be here in John chapter 3. I'm reading from the New Living Testament, or translation, um, about this context and what is happening. Now, I'm, I'm going to have a few verses highlighted 
as we're reading through this, I'm going to just take a moment just to maybe unpack that a little bit more. But here it is, John 3, verse 1. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. Verse 2. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Now, there's two key things I want to kind of pull out from that line right there. He's coming to Jesus in the cover of darkness. Doesn't want to be seen, doesn't want other people to see him coming to Jesus, who's kind of a controversial figure during this time. He wants to have the cover of darkness. But second, and I think even a greater theme within this gospel account, is John uses the theme of light and dark consistently throughout his gospel writings and his letters. And darkness always represents spiritual darkness. It always represents a person who is far from God. And light represents Jesus, truth, becoming in the light. So knowing the truth, becoming like a follower of Jesus. So what I believe John's also doing here is he's kind of setting up Nicodemus. He's coming in the cover of darkness, but he's also spiritually dark. He's also someone who is far from the truth. So let's continue on. Rabbi, Nicodemus says, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Again, he wants to know the information, Nicodemus. He wants the checklist. He's like, teach us, teach us. I want more. I want more information. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. He's saying the only way that this is happening is probably because God's with you. Like the prophets that I know and I've memorized my entire life in the Old Testament, like probably God's with you doing things. He's, he, he has to rationalize what's happening, what he just saw. But then Jesus doesn't answer him. He answers with a different answer. Here's what it says in verse three. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. What's being talked about right here is a physical birth and a spiritual birth. They're not talking about baptism. In the context of this scripture, he's addressing, you gotta be born of, of water, which is a physical birth. Women's water break, right? So there's like this, like this, this sense, like it's, that's happening, but also a spiritual birth. Verse six, humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Verse 9, how are these things possible? Right? Nicodemus, he's again, he's working through this disillusionment. He's seeing the Messiah right in front of him. He's like, but I can't figure this out. I'm the smartest guy in the room, and I can't figure this out. Like, what are you talking about? Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher. And yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? Verse 13, no one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. What's being said right here is Jesus is using Old Testament theology to speak to Nicodemus. That's his context. That's what he understands. 
He's like, hey, remember back in the time of the prophets, there was these type of Christs, these things that represented what the future Messiah would be. I'm that. I'm right here. I am the Messiah. You were waiting for it. Well, I'm right here. I'm the one who's going to give life. I'm the one who's going to save you. In verse 16, the home run verse that a lot of us know, this is how God so loved the world. He gave his one only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son to the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. Verse 18, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one only son. And a judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world. Again, this theme of light and dark. But people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. Now, verse 20 and 21 are key. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. Nicodemus has come in the cover of darkness, right? Think through that. He's a little like, I don't know. I think I know what the truth is, but I'm afraid to hear the truth. Verse 21, but those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. He's still afraid, Nicodemus. Doesn't want people to see him coming to Jesus. He might know, he's might, he might be processing, I think this might be the Messiah, but he can't, he can't rationalize it. He is disillusioned from what he has been raised in, from what he's been brought up in, from what he's built his life upon, what he's made his money from, his whole status of life. He's like, I, I, I can't let that go. Like, I have to be able to figure this thing out. And Jesus is debunking everything time and time again. So I think it, uh, I think it goes to this first point this morning is this. Jesus welcomes our questions. Jesus was welcoming the questions of Nicodemus. We need to be okay with the answers. Jesus is the source of all truth. He will give us the answers because he is truth. And that might not settle right with where we're currently at. We might have to submit some things, realign some things in our heart and our mind to be in line with that truth. We need to be okay with that. What we're seeing Nicodemus is he's processing. He's like, oh man, like he's, he's not settled in this. But again, Nicodemus, who is, I think, generally intrigued with who Jesus is, he was allowing his brain to fill in the blank spaces. He was assuming something that was untrue of who Jesus was. Jesus, you're a great teacher. God must be with you. Yeah, that's, that's true, but that's not the whole picture. Just like those illustrations we were looking at earlier. Yeah, we see a picture, but maybe not the full picture of what God is doing. Jesus was not another step forward to the awaited Messiah. He is the Messiah. Jesus is the kingdom of God in the flesh. Right there in front of Nicodemus, he is missing it because he's disillusioned. He's got other things that are filtering through his perspective during this time. But what we see is there is grace and truth from Jesus in this conversation. There's challenge. Doesn't mean that you can't be challenged and kind of be called up and called out, but there is still grace that Jesus is offering. And I believe Nicodemus realizes this 
But again, he's just having a hard time accepting it, accepting the reality and the truth that Jesus is giving. Because again, his background is, what can I do, what can I attain to cleanse myself, to be holy? I can do the things, I can do the checkoff, I can do this step and that step to be who I am. Jesus, you're telling me it's, it's not about me doing the work? It's about God's love, for God so loved the world? Like, what? How is this happening? His whole world is being literally turned upside down. It's not the answer that Nicodemus is looking for. He wants the step-by-step. He wants the checkoff. He's the overachiever. If there's more, he wants it. Give me more information. I want to do this thing. I want to be the best of the best. But Jesus is deconstructing his false theology of what it means to be made holy. It's on Jesus and nothing else. It's about being born again, regenerated, a spiritual renewal, not a taskless to do anything to be made holy. It's about literally being born again. A Christian counselor and psychologist, Elise Fitzpatrick, I read a few of her articles and some different studies, and she says this about Nicodemus. She says, the whole point of what Christ is doing with Nicodemus is telling him, you don't have the goods. God loves you. God is going to transform you. God is going to change you, but there's nothing you can do. You have to throw yourself on the mercy of God. You must be born again. So this next point is simply this. Throw yourself on the mercy and grace of God. When it comes to our disillusionment, we need to just take a step back and say, it's not on me to figure out everything and all things. There has to be some room for the mystery of who Jesus is. Like he said, you can't explain how the wind goes from here to there. And yeah, there's some time scientific things of pressure systems and it's high pressure and low pressure and they try to meld and all that stuff. But it's very much like, man, you, you can't see it, right? Let's put some dust up, I guess. Some, some smelling salts, like when you go, not smelling salts. When you go hunting, you go, what way is the wind going? You can kind of see it then a little bit. But what Jesus is saying is, leave some room. Leave some room for just the mystery of what's happening. We don't have the goods. We don't have what it takes for what we need most. And that's spiritual renewal. Not behavior renewal, spiritual renewal from the inside out. If we think we have what it takes, if we think we've built up everything that has made us good and great, we've missed the point. We are disillusioned. It's only through the grace of God that we are made new. Through his Holy Spirit convicting things, bringing things up and out so we can place them at the feet of Jesus. See, again, Nicodemus, Jesus is correcting his wrong theology and disillusionment because Nicodemus can't even recognize truth right in front of him. This is not an optical illusion. Jesus is literally like, I'm right here, man. I'm right here, dude. It's it's, it's on me. This is a hard pill for Nicodemus to swallow. He's like, man, you're telling me like most of my life, if not all of my life, has built up to kind of nothing. It's not about my abilities and what I've thought, what I've created. It's about Jesus. Jesus is like, yeah. It's actually about God's love and God's grace, God's kindness. But yeah, it's not about what you can do. It's about what God has done and will do through me, Jesus. 
Jesus welcomes our questions. He welcomes our processing. And I think it's healthy to question and process. Because I believe if we're not doing that, we're not on the best path of growth within our spiritual journeys as we should be. We really like the parts of the Bible that we walk out, not the ones that challenge us to think through the lens of Jesus. We've been taught in the American church that if we question what we're doing or turning our back on God, that it's sinful and and shouldn't be done. But I want to bring a key distinction in this process, and that is the source of those times to wrestle with things and process through things. Nicodemus, he's coming to the source of truth, Jesus, as he is processing. Us in America, we have Google We have social media. We got every news outlet on the far left to the far right to the in-between to whatever we want to talk about as our source of our processing. That's not what we're seeing here in God's word. We're seeing come to the source of truth when you need to process and wrestle with the questions. Come to the feet of Jesus. I know for me sometimes, I don't want to actually bring my questions to Jesus because I know the answer and I know it's probably something that I need to be doing that I don't want to do. And I'm like, dang it. But what we need to do is question, but just to be okay, again, be okay with the answers. Because Jesus will challenge us. The life of Jesus will challenge us. The truth of who he is will challenge us. And that is a good thing, not a bad thing. So a simple question is just this. What is my disillusionment? What have I assumed? Maybe I've filled in the blank spaces of life with. What are those blind spots that I just don't want to address? What are those things? And I want to say something very, very key as well in this, is as Christ followers, we have the Holy Spirit to guide us to the truth. We have to acknowledge that. We have to be open to that. Holy Spirit is working constantly. We have to literally say, Holy Spirit, like, show me. Reveal your truth. We have to do that. We have to be consistently allowing God's Spirit to renew who we are. For those of us who might be still thinking through this Jesus conversation, I want to say, the truth is here. Just like Nicodemus, it's right in front of you. There's not a lot of excuses to come before and say, I don't know about now. No, the truth is right here. This is not an optical illusion. This is the full-on picture of who Jesus is and what he offers. And that is a restart, a renewing, a rebirth into the family of God. Now, if we go back to, again, the story of Nicodemus, this was the start of his processing, of his questioning. He's kind of like, hey, Jesus, tell me something I don't know. It's kind of his feeling. Like, shock me. I'm really smart. Like, you're a great teacher, all this stuff. Shock me. Jesus is like, okay, bam, right? He just like hits him hard. He's like, oh, I think I got a lot more than I bargained for. So we should not be afraid to ask ourselves the hard questions. And when the truth of Jesus brings us to the place that disagrees with maybe our life, our lifestyle, I'm going to push some buttons. Our party affiliation, whether left or right, 
We need to submit that to Jesus. Jesus is going to push a lot of buttons. That's what he did in his entire ministry. Didn't matter what side you were on, he pushed buttons because the truth was there. And a lot of times we have some disillusionment in our lives that need that truth to recorrect, rehone in, realign who we are supposed to be and how we're supposed to live our life out. Now, in the story of Nicodemus, Jesus gave him the truth. And I feel like the truth was the size of Texas. He was just like, here you go, Nicodemus, truth bomb. He's like, oh my gosh, right? There's something that we need to also understand and that was shown in the life of Nicodemus. And that's this, in this processing that he was having, there was grace, continual grace that was given to Nicodemus in this. Jesus knew on chapter seven, Jesus, again, his ministry, literally says, I am the Messiah to everybody, to the religious elite again. He's saying, I am the living water. I'm the one you've been waiting for. Nicodemus is present in that account. So he's hearing it again from the mouth of Jesus that he is the Messiah, that you're only saved through him. This is what we've been waiting for. And so in John chapter seven, I'm gonna be in verse 40. Here's what happens after this. Jesus again says, I am the Messiah. It says, when the crowds heard him say this, one of them declared, surely this man is the prophet we've been expecting. Oh, maybe it's just another step towards the Messiah. Others said, he is the Messiah. Still others said, but he can't be. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? So the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born in the royal line of David in Bethlehem, the village where King David was born. Spoiler alert, we know. <laughs> we know the answer. Uh, oh, little town of Bethlehem. Have you heard of that song there religiously? Oh, that was 2,000 years later that we wrote that. Okay, anyway, but still. So the crowd was divided about him. Some even wanted him arrested, but no one laid a hand on him. Verse 45, when the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, why didn't you bring him in? Verse 46, we've never heard anyone speak like this, the guards responded. They're like in awe. They're like, whoa, there was something powerful that just happened. Verse 47, have you been led astray too? The Pharisees mocked. Is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who believes in him? They're acting sarcastically. They're like, what is going on? This foolish crowd follows him, but they are ignorant of the law. They're saying they're disillusioned. They're idiots, right? God's curse is on them. In verse 50, then Nicodemus, our good old buddy Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, spoke up. Is it legal to convict a man before he's given a hearing? That's all he says. What does that show? He's kind of neutral now. <laughs> he's not all in. He's not all against. He's just trying to be like, hey, don't we have a law that says we should do something in the right way, in the right manner? He's not saying, hey, actually, I've heard him already talk to me about the Messiah, and yes, the crowd is right. Like, he is the Messiah. He's not quite there yet. He is not there yet. Verse 50, uh, 52, they replied, are you from Galilee too? making fun of Nicodemus. Search the scriptures and see for yourself no prophet ever comes from Galilee. They are hung up on this Galilee thing. <laughs> they are disillusioned. They're just like, they keep hammering that thing back home. And Nicodemus is like, dude, I'm pretty smart, but you guys are kind of, I don't know. He's just, he's starting to like, just be a little unsettled in this process. So there's grace. There's grace. Now, flash forward to the end of Jesus's life. Go to John chapter 19. Again, the context, Jesus is wrongfully accused. He's murdered on a cross. 
Most of his disciples have abandoned him, but our good buddy Nicodemus, he is there. So this is right after Jesus has died. John 19, verse 38. Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. I don't know, like that, that, that verse hit so hard. I was reading through it a couple of times, and I'm hoping it's hitting hard for you. With him came Nicodemus, who has been disillusioned his entire life. The man who had come to Jesus at night. John wrote that specifically to point back again. You remember him? He came in at darkness. He was spiritually dark. He is now all in for Jesus. There is grace in this processing. He has submitted everything he has to Jesus. Let's think about what's happening right now. They're in broad daylight pretty much. Nicodemus, he's in his full-on garb. He's in his pharisaical, like, top hat. He's decked out to the nines. Everybody knows who he is. He's a well-known guy. He is coming boldly in front of everybody to a dead person, to Jesus. He is right there. He's saying, I want to take this body down. Think about it. Jesus has just bled out. He is dirty. He is nasty. Nicodemus says, I'm going to submit everything that's good and perfect and holy about me. The Pharisees would dress how they dressed to show that they were perfect, set apart from the law. He is literally in the best thing, worth tons of money. He's like, I want that to get dirty. I want the blood of Jesus to get all over that. What things in our life have we set up that we don't want to get washed by the blood of Jesus? What are those things? I think we can go down the road and say, it's this, it's this, and this. But God knows your heart. God knows where you're at. He knows exactly what needs to be washed by the blood of Jesus. Nicodemus is coming. He's like, I'm all in, man. I am all in. Anybody and all people can look at me. I'm here. I got a dead guy. I got Jesus on me. His blood is on me. I'm in. I think what's also important is as as a Jew, touching anything that was dead was a big deal. There was purification rituals that had to be initiated. He's He's touching a dead guy on Passover, the biggest stinking day of the Jewish calendar. He's saying, I'm done with this life because of my Savior, the truth that I just saw murdered on a cross. I am all in for that. See, there was a process to Nicodemus. There was a process. It didn't happen right away. It took a few moments, but God was working on his heart, and he was allowing God to work on his heart. He wasn't saying, oh, that doesn't agree with what I've been growing up with, what I've been raised with. I don't know about that. No, he was saying, yeah, this is the truth of Jesus. He was submitting himself to the truth of Christ, not the truth of this this or that, but to the simple truth of the gospel of Jesus, that he has come to die for our sins so that we can be made holy, that we are reborn again, that we could see the kingdom of God. I want to go back to um, verse 
21 of John chapter 3, and I think I have that in the slides. It says this, But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Before, he came in the cover of darkness. Now, he is doing what is right in broad daylight so others can see that what he is doing is what God wants. He is making, he is firing a warning shot to the religious establishment of this is what we have to be doing. This is what we need to do. It's about Jesus. It's not about the other things that we've always been doing. It's about the heart of Jesus. So are we prepared to submit our disillusionment to the Jesus way? Even if we might lose our comfort, our influence, or our own pride and our own justification. Well, I'm justified because that is what the truth, that, that, that's what's right. No, a lot of times Jesus says, huh, let's, let's submit that justification, that pride. That's not what it's about. So again, that question, what is my disillusionment? What are those things that I've built up in my life that are not submitted to Jesus? Take that and submit it to the truth of Christ. That is what we are called to, and I think that's what we see in the story of Nicodemus through this whole process. And there is grace and truth within that. In, interesting enough, in um, some writings called the Talmud, it's like a historical Jewish writing, almost like, histor like historical notes of the rabbis and teachers of the time. There is clear, clear evidence in the first century of those writers. They mention a Pharisee who's a part of the Sanhedrin named Nicodemus who lost everything because he became a follower of the way. That's not the Nicodemus we're talking about. I don't know who it is. There's probably some debate, and I'm sure there's a lot of more smarter people that are like, actually, but from what it reads pretty point blank, Nicodemus gave it all up. He gave it all up for Jesus. Are we willing to do that? We've got to take that and submit it to the truth of Jesus. Again, Jesus welcomes our disillusionment. We need to be okay with the answers. We need to be okay with the challenge that he will bring. That challenge will be full of truth, but also of grace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for who you are, for your truth. We are in awe of the love that you give, of the grace you give, of the mercy, but also your truth. Without that truth, we are lost. And Lord, we just say we want to be under your truth. We want to submit to that. We don't want our feelings or what we think is right to dictate. We want you to run the show because we know we will have new life in that and that new life is the best life. God, we again just acknowledge your gospel. We acknowledge the truth of who you are and, and right now I want to just give an, an invitation to those to say, hey, I've been disillusioned. I'm all in for Jesus. If that's you, just, just raise your hand. Just say, I want to be all in. There's things in my life that I just need to submit to him. Amen, amen, amen. For you at home,
be thinking through that too and say, yeah, just raise a hand at home and say, there's things I need to submit to Jesus. Lord, for those of us who are raising our hands, Holy Spirit, minister to each one of us. We know, you know exactly what's happening in our hearts and our minds. You know exactly those deep areas that need your forgiveness, that need your grace, that need your truth. Lord, allow us to give that over to you. Let it be seen so that others can see the things that God desires for us. Lord, we, we again profess your truth and we are thankful for your truth. Without it, we are lost. And so God, we pray these things in your mighty, mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want, I want to also mention something briefly too. Um, you put that slide up, yeah, that I said yes. Um, this is a way that we want to connect with the body. And there's a lot of people that are at home watching and doing our live, our live stream. And it's hard to know exactly who's doing the live stream. So if you have said, yeah, I, I said yes to Jesus. I said yes to submitting to the Jesus way. Text, I said yes to 43506. Takes you to a part of our website where it has some other theological just unpacking what it means to live the Jesus way. But then it has a little button to email us. So it kind of puts some ownership on your part, like reach out to us. And we want to have a conversation. We want to talk. We want to, want to sit down and talk about what it means to submit our lives to the Jesus way. And so I want to really um, just encourage you to do that um, if that's a place where you're at in this time. So, all right, well, with that, thanks for coming so much to church and for just partake, partaking in this time in God's word. And uh, we have a few more weeks left in this series and it's just going to get better and better. And so I um, just want to encourage you to, to be full on, coming in, ready to hear from the Lord during these times. So remember, Jesus loves you, and so does all of us at CFC, including Mark and Kate. They really love you. <laughs> Hi, Pastor Kate. I see you out in the comments. <laughs> so, all right, with that, see you guys later.